Well, good morning and happy Easter to all of you. It's good to see all of you here today. Uh, many of you are here today because you're here every Sunday and because you believe that Christ rose from the dead and that has changed and transformed your life. Uh, some of you are here today because you wanted to add a spiritual dimension to your celebration of Easter. Uh, others of you are here today because a, a family member or a friend invited you to come and, and you said yes. And I'm sure that some of us here today are here not exactly of our own free will. And truthfully, you'd rather be someplace else. But whatever reason brought you here today, in the name of Jesus Christ, welcome. We're glad you're here. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever wondered what difference does Easter make? What difference can Easter possibly make in your life today? How can it make your life better? I want to read a scripture from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, this is not your usual Easter text. It begins in chapter 3 with verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, well, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, the night before Jesus was crucified, he said a very strange thing that nobody who heard it really understood. He said, in a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you're going to see me because I'm alive and you are about to come alive. Now, what did he mean by that? His hearers are thinking, we're already alive. How can we come alive? You see, Easter is about coming alive. Jesus proved who he said he was. He said, I am God. I'm going to let them kill me on a cross. I'm going to be buried for three days, and then I'm going to bring myself back to life to prove that I am who I said I am. And he did. Now, almost all of us here today know that part of the Easter story. What most people don't know is the second part of the Easter story, and that involves you. Jesus wants you to have a resurrection, your own resurrection, to a better life. Now, what is this better life? Well, before I moved to Cincinnati, I lived in the most affluent town in Ohio. 
the average household income was 38% higher than the rest of the nation. The average median family income was $214,850. That's more than Indian Hill, just to give you some perspective. Million-dollar homes were fairly common. The high school looked like a college campus. And most people in this town would have said, I'm living the good life. And compared to the rest of the world, they were. And perhaps a lot of us here today would say the same thing. But what if there was something more? What if beyond the good life there was a better life? What if you are missing out on something that you didn't even know about? What if God had intended, you, had intended you to live not just the good life, but he intended you to live the better life? Wouldn't you want to know about it? I know I would. Now, oftentimes we settle for less because we don't know better. When I was in grade school, they used to serve in the school cafeteria this spinach slop <laughs> soaked in vinegar. Did you have that? No. Evidently, it was just my school. But it looked disgusting. It looked like seaweed that had just washed up on the beach. Now, I ate it for a couple of reasons. One, because I'd watched too many Popeye the Sailor cartoons. <laughs> I thought it would make me stronger. But secondly, I ate it because, well, you couldn't go out for recess until you finished your lunch. I hated it. But I didn't know better. It wasn't until I was an adult and somebody took me to a fine restaurant that I learned that there's other ways to prepare spinach that are delicious. And I will never go back to the old spinach because I've tasted the better. I want to let you in on a little secret. There is something better. You were not made just for the good life, looking good, feeling good, and having the goods. That's okay. But there's more to life than that. There's the better life. Now, I talked to a lot of people in this town when I lived there, and some of them were very wealthy and powerful. And I discovered that beneath the, the good life, there was a lot of, of I'm sorry, people were tired. <laughs> people were worn out. They would say to me, I am tired all the time. I can't keep up with the pace. I'm overloaded. When I get home in the evening, I crash. And this kind of exhaustion always leads to emptiness. And sometimes in our more honest times, in, in those quiet moments, we're thinking, man, if this is a good life, why am I still unhappy? Why don't I feel like my life has meaning? And what is the meaning of my life anyhow? See, the truth is, some people I know who are living what looks like the good life are really miserable. They're hiding it, and they're really good at hiding it, and you wouldn't know it by looking at them. And I find that sometimes this, this emptiness leads to enslavement, and we feel trapped. We feel trapped by debt. We feel trapped by relationships. We feel trapped by guilt or fear or bitterness. We feel trapped by our schedule. And maybe at times you felt like that. And if you do, I have good news for you today. There is an answer, and it's called the better life. In our scripture today, the Apostle Paul tells us how he discovered this better life. He shares with us 
his achievements, his heritage, his endowments, and his religion. He thought that he had it all together. He thought that he was living the perfect religious life. But then he found Christ, and in finding him, found an incredible source of power. And he writes in verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ, yes, and to know the power of his resurrection. What is the power in the resurrection, and how can it help me to have the better life? Let me mention three things this morning. And number one is this. It's a triumphant life filled with meaning. Again, Paul says in verse 8, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. See, Paul thought he was living the good life until he found the incredible worth of knowing Jesus. You see, the greatest tragedy in life is not death. It's to go through your whole life without knowing your purpose, without knowing what on earth that you are here for. I'll be blunt. The good life is not good enough. There's not enough in the world to make you happy. If that were true, Hollywood would be the happiest place on earth, right? But they're not. I probably shouldn't admit this. Well, I'm going to. But sometimes I watch TMZ, okay? Don't judge me. I mean, wow, these people's lives are messed up. I really feel good about my life after I watch that show. And what I've discovered, what I've discovered is it takes a lot more than money to have a meaningful life. Now, sometimes we confuse a meaningful life with a really busy life. They're not the same thing. Having a busy schedule is not the same thing as having a meaningful life. USA Today reported a a story about a mother named Maria in Ridgewood, New Jersey. She was constantly juggling her kids' homework, music lessons, soccer practices, swim meets, ballet, SAT sessions. She got so tired that she went to the mayor and asked him to declare one day a week as that all activities would be canceled. It was called Ready, Set, Relax. All games, all practices, all homework, all church activities, all clubs, canceled. Maybe we could do something like that in Anderson Township. And the mayor said this. We're all overextended. We're all victims of our own success. We just need downtime. Now, here's the funny thing. It worked pretty well for a while. But the irony was that some of the residents were so addicted to activity, they didn't know what to do with their free time. And so they went to the mayor, and they asked for a list of things they could do. (laughs) Other people wanted to turn it into a contest and to see which family could have the best family time at home by themselves. (laughs) No wonder we're tired and burned out. There's only one way to move from the good life to the better life. In 1 Peter chapter 1 it says, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life. We have everything to live for, including the future in heaven, and that future starts now. 
See, that tells us that somehow this better life that we're seeking is connected with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Somehow his coming back to life enables me to live a better life. Somehow it gives me a, a new start, a brand new life. I used to play golf until I moved to Cincinnati. I seemed just too busy anymore. But I remember the first time I ever learned what a mulligan is. And I loved it. Now, if you don't know anything about golf, it means that when you take your first shot and it really stinks, that you can take a second shot and the first one doesn't count. Now, I really love that idea. And I, I, I did it many times. The, <laughs> and the shot is free and they don't count the first ones against you. I mean, I love this whole idea of the mulligan. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ wants to give us a mulligan. You know all those things that you've done in the past that sometimes come back to haunt you? The remorse, the regret, the shame, and the guilt. Mulligan. Wiped out. Erased. Not counted. Brand new life. Because of what happened 2,000 years ago. And the Bible has a name for this mulligan, and it's called grace. So the Apostle Paul writes in verse 9, he says, I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. What does that mean? It means that we're not made right before God because of, of what we've earned, not because of what we've done or, or how we've lived, but because of our faith in God's grace. You see, everything that you have in life is a gift from God. Even the next breath that you are about to take, that's a gift from God. And grace is God saying that no matter what you've done or how you've lived, I love you. Now that's a hard concept for us to grasp because a lot of us grew up thinking that we had to somehow earn God's love and God's approval. Even those of you who grew up in very religious homes might have the message might have been communicated, mess up and you're in big trouble with the guy upstairs. But grace says that you're accepted and you're loved the way you are. That Jesus has done it all for you on the cross. And all we have to do is accept it by faith in him. See, there are two paths that you can choose. One is to spend the rest of your life trying to, to earn God's approval by your effort by your good works. The other is to enjoy God's approval by accepting what Jesus has already done for you and then enjoying the freedom he gives you to live life to the fullest. Now the Apostle Paul tried to live his life the first way. He says of his former life that he had lots of confidence. He says in verse 6, As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. Now, how many of you can say today that you've lived a faultless life? That's what I thought. No hands going up. I had a weird experience some years ago when my parents were still living. One day while they were visiting with us, in the hearing of my whole family, my parents said, Mark was a perfect child. We never once had to spank him. That was back in the days, you know, when sometimes you get spanked. 
You should have seen my wife roll her eyes. <laughs> she knew that was not possible, that I could not have been that perfect child. But I must say it was kind of cool thinking that maybe I had been after all. But it wasn't about six months later, I think, when they came up to visit us for Christmas, when I brought this whole thing up to my parents, what they had said, they just laughed and denied saying anything so absurd. <laughs> my faultless life was crushed. The Apostle Paul even thought that killing Christians was earning approval from God. But now he says he counseled all as garbage. You see, God's grace in Christ has, has purchased our freedom. Freedom from being a slave to, to guilt, to worry, to bitterness, the remorse and shame of the past and, and the fear of the future. He came to set us free from our, our habits and our hurts and our hang-ups. The things that enslave us and that sometimes leave us feeling empty and tired. Friends, listen, it doesn't matter how much you have to live on if you don't have anything to live for. See, what you live for or what you live on is a good life, but what you live for is the better life. You'll never be happy living for yourself. In fact, the more self-centered you are, the more miserable you will be. You are not designed to live for yourself. You are designed to live in a relationship with God and to care and to love others. That, Jesus said, is the heart of a whole Bible. And so the beginning of a better life begins when you stop living for yourself and you start living for God. Now here's the second thing that I want you to see today. Paul writes in verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and he says, participation in his sufferings. Now I read it and I think, why in the world would I want to participate in suffering? Why would I want to participate in Jesus' suffering? Now, I think the reason Paul says that is because we find power in our suffering. Jesus' suffering literally transformed the world. I mean, let's face it. Our greatest growth in, in our lives oftentimes comes after a time of suffering and failure. That we can have the greatest advances in our life when we face something that hurts badly. The, the loss of someone dear to us or a betrayal by somebody close to us or, or some kind of major disappointment, injustice or failure. And when you look back upon those times, when you look back upon your life, you'll likely see that it was during those times of suffering and difficulty that you grew the most in your faith. Now, years ago, I was sent by uh, the bishop, to a church that was bursting at the seams with new people. And then just as quickly, it went into a, a tailspin when it was discovered that the pastor had had a, an affair. I didn't want to go there. The place was toxic. During my years there, there was zero trust in my leadership. And plus, it was hard not to get angry. Uh, it was hard um, to forgive people that I thought had done me wrong. But for four years, I kept at it, and after things began to turn around, healing began, the, the finances began to straighten out, attendance began to improve again, and I was finally able to turn it over to the Lord. 
And through that, I came to believe, I came to understand the, the words of the Apostle Paul uh, uh, of how that power comes through, through suffering. And in Romans 8, 28, it says, For we know that in all things God works for good to those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I feel like God had had me there for a purpose and for a reason. And since then, I've had experiences of more loss and sorrow and rejection and slander. And through it all, I've come to rely upon his power and I've come to know Christ better. And most of you have gone through similar things in your own life. Rejection by people that you love, fired from a job, missed opportunities, misunderstood, maligned, or, or mistreated. Paul says, where do you find the ability to get through it and to thrive? Paul says it's through the power of the resurrection. And then lastly, not only are we given power for this life, we're given power to live forever. Paul writes in, in verse 11, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now we don't talk about heaven a lot anymore, but listen, when Paul wrote this, he was sitting in a Roman prison in, uh, and he wasn't sure if he'd be released from jail or whether Caesar would have him executed. But the amazing thing is that he's not afraid because he knows that his citizenship is in heaven and he's actually looking forward to that. My friends, this is such an important concept. In fact, we need this we need to know that there is a home awaiting us at the end of this life because it makes all the problems, all the difficulties, all of the obstacles easier to handle. You ever been driving home from a trip to Florida with your family? It's the second day of driving. You've been on the road since 7 a.m. and now it's 9 p.m., and you're hitting Lexington, Kentucky on I-75 and you're tired and you're worn out and the kids are driving you crazy and you have another two hours to go and you like to stop at a motel right now and call it a day. But what keeps you going and what keeps you from going crazy is that you know that tonight you'll be sleeping in your own bed and in your own home. You see, that's the power. That's the difference that Easter makes. Times can be tough. We can be frightened about the future. Sometimes evil seems to be overwhelming. But take hope. God has a place prepared just for you. God has a home prepared for us. And during my 40 years of ministry, I have seen so many people who find themselves at the end of their journey take comfort in this one fact and be able to die in peace and unafraid. I wonder if we're not trying to live life in our own power and in our own strength. I know sometimes I think I can do it without anybody's help. But the good news this morning is that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead can live in you. That you can have this resurrection power and that you've got a choice. 
You can go through life living the good life, disconnected from God's power, or you can live the better life and be plugged into God's power, and it's your choice. Now, whichever one you choose, folks, you're still going to have problems. Let's face it, life is a series of problems and challenges. But the difference is, with God in your life, you have the power to face those problems. You have his wisdom to tackle some of those challenges that you face, whether it's a failing marriage or a dead-end job or a difficult relationship. Maybe right now life isn't turning out exactly the way that you thought it was going to. And maybe you're ready to, to, to give up on your dreams for life. Don't give up. Look up. Look up to God. He can give your life meaning. He can... Give, he can free your life with his grace, and he can give you the power to live it on a day-to-day basis. How do I know that? The resurrection proves it. If Jesus can rise from the dead, is there anything that he can't do? Unless your problem is worse than lying dead for three days in the grave, I think Jesus can handle it. You're thinking, Pastor, that sounds really good. How do I get this power? It's a gift. You accept it by faith. You invite Jesus to come into your life, ask him to forgive you of your sins and to provide leadership in your life, and he does it. See, Easter has provided a a whole new way of living. You can go from the good life to the better life. And if you're ready to make that decision, we have put um, commit cards in in the pew racks. Fill one of these out. Turn it into somebody here. We want to help you go from the good life to the better life. We want to help you take your next steps in your walk with Christ. Let's bow our heads. God, we think we're living the good life. But little did we know that there's a better life awaiting us. Thank you that you made it all possible by living the life and dying the death and raising again on the third day as a gift to us. So God, we invite you to come into our hearts to grant us the grace and the power to live life the way you designed it for us to live. And we will give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.